we have in Jesus and his presence here with us today. Amen. so glad that you're here. My name is Tammy Verano. Uh, I'm the director of worship here. Welcome. We're so glad. Again, if you're a guest uh, for the first time, we're so glad that you've come today. If you're watching online this morning, we know that May is a very busy time. Can I get an oh yeah? It's so crazy, but you've made time. So now that you've made the time, just take a deep breath. We know that God's got amazing things planned, just like he always does. So we're just going to sit in this moment and enjoy it. There's lots to be done still, so that'll all take place when you leave here. So let's just make time for God to show up. Would you pray with me this morning? Let's start with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, we just take a moment to pause and thank you so much for the many, many blessings that you have in our lives. Um, just to say thank you, to lift you high, to remember that you are the center of all of this. <laughs> and so thank you for being in our midst today. Thank you for dwelling in us. But there is something so unique when we come together as community and as a church to worship you together. And so we live into that this morning. We just give you back the praise this morning as we worship. God, we just break down all those barriers, all those walls, all those things that we hold on to as we honor and give glory to the King. In Jesus' name, somebody said amen. 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 i uh-huh.
to even begin to express what you mean to us, who you are, the price that you paid on Calvary, not only so that uh, we can just have life and someday we get to meet you in heaven and we're so excited about that. Um, That is definitely a promise and a joy. But Lord, you desire to be with us right here, right now when we're walking through the struggles of life, when things don't turn out the way we had hoped We have our promise and our security and our peace in Christ Jesus right in the here and now. And we are so thankful for that. And it's because of the sacrifice that you made that we can be in relationship with you and and call on the name of Jesus, which has power above every name. We believe it, we know it, and we thank you for it this morning. Thank you for your presence being in this place and moving in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. 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 Thank you so much for singing. Before you're, I know some of you want to get out of this, but.
we're going to greet anyway. So try to find somebody maybe you don't know this morning and welcome them to church and then you can be seated. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Nikki Cruz. I'm the youth director here. Um, and Nate and I have the honor and the privilege of getting to lead this incredible group of middle and high school students in our youth ministry. And this Sunday is so special. Um, we get to commission our high school mission team as they leave in almost just 13 days. Yeah, just that long. Um, and they will be heading off to Belize um, on June 3rd to go and uh, run a VBS. And, and I'll let them tell you about it. But we are going to commission this team today. And we are so, so excited and so honored for this chance. And so um, you guys are in for a special service. And Nate, can you tell us a little bit about this team and the work that they've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I'm so blessed to be a part of this team. Um, these guys are so awesome. Um, they've been working super hard. They've been doing fundraisers, team building, doing all sorts of stuff. And so we're just really excited to, to go to Belize and uh, be the hands of you to God, so we're excited. Awesome. Yeah, Nate is going with a couple of our awesome adult volunteers, and so be praying for them, the students, but definitely volunteers. Um, and so a couple of our students um, uh, have decided to share what they're excited about, the way that they um, expect to see God move, and a little bit about what they're doing. Um, so who is our first one? Just step on up. Will, come on up. Come on up. Into the light. Uh, morning. My name is Will. Um, this is going to be the third trip I'm going on with Emerge for mission trips. Um, and so I'm really excited to be going to Belize because, so one thing, like VBS. So this year we're going to be doing construction in the morning. And then after we're all tired and <laughs> from everything we've been doing in the morning, we're going to go uh, in the afternoon right after the kids get out of school and we're going to be doing VBS and supposedly there's going to be 150 plus kids at this VBS. So, um, and then, so I'm just really excited for that because at this church, our mission is to direct people to Jesus. So I'm hoping that by the end of the week, we're going to have directed as many kids as we can to Jesus. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Next, we've got Madeline and Chris. Katie. Um, hi, my name is Katie, and this is my first time going on a mission trip. And I am just most excited to be able to serve others and take like the next step step in like my faith and like my journey with God, but then to also see what it's like and walk in other shoes and just like learn and experience what it's like and what it's it's like for them and to help them. So yeah. Is there another one? Okay, Christina's gonna close us out. I'm Christina. So what I'm most excited about is um, just going on this trip with the youth because I graduate on Saturday. So, <laughs> so this is my last chance to do something with this group besides, you know, revive right a week after but um this is like my last like serious thing with this group that I get to do and I'm just so excited because it's also my first mission trip and my last with this group so it's bittersweet but I'm really excited to have this last hurrah with them and just serve Awesome. Thank you so much guys. So um church here's what I need from you. I need you to reach out your hand and we are going to pray over these students um, just in the same way that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out and make disciples of all the nations. That is exactly what we are going to pray over these students right now. So, Father God, Lord, we thank you for this team. God of incredible leaders and students. Lord, knowing that they have put in an insane amount of effort and time and work, Lord, to fundraise, to prepare God, as they, as they go and they head off to Belize, Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to have a peace in your greater story. Lord, as missionaries, we know that 
the work doesn't begin when we get there. It doesn't begin when we get on the plane. Lord, but it is already happening. The way that you have bonded this team together, the way that they have already seen you work in and around their lives. God, that the story just continues. Lord, and that you are already at work on the island of Keycocker with the students. Lord, with the church family there. God, and again, we are just so honored to have a part to play. So Lord, our prayer for this team, God, is that you would prepare their hearts. Lord, we know that when we go and serve and incredible things happen, God, when we see the evidence of our faith, God, and I ask that you would help us to, to not just see, Lord, but to know what to do with it, God, that we would see this transformation happen and that we would allow it to make a difference for us, that we would come back here different. Lord, and that the, the work that this team does, God, it, it begins to affect change, Lord, in their lives, in their homes, in their schools, and in our community. Father, I thank you for these students. I give them over to you as they go to work to help heaven happen here. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm so proud of these guys. They've been working so hard to get ready for this. And you know, the, the place that they're going on Key Calker, I believe that it's the one church that they work with is the church on the island. And so every year when these guys go back, thanks guys, every year when they, oh, that's good. Awesome. Um, every year when they go back, those 150 or so children on that island are looking forward to meeting them, seeing them, knowing what's going on. So I'm so excited that um, this is not the church of tomorrow, it's the church of today, amen? Let's give them one more big round of applause, it's awesome. So I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this gorgeous Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor uh, to have this time with you, whether you're joining us here in the family room or joining us online. It means the world to us that you would be here or connecting with us because this community that we live in, you, you might have just decided to go to the beach today, but you decided to come to church, and man, that's just so awesome. So thank you for doing that. We do not take that lightly. Here at Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that when you've discovered that source of life, that you not only will hold on to it, but you'll share it with as many people as you encounter, because we believe that God has something to say about every single thing that you're walking through. So um, if there's anything we can do for you as a church to stand alongside you, uh, please, please, please let us know. So a couple announcements, one that's going to be very long, but um, let me go ahead and get you dialed in. I'll get you started with a couple short ones. So last week, we gave you the opportunity on Mother's Day to help support um, the, the commissioning and the purchasing of the Angel of Hope statue. And many of you supported that, and we are so grateful for that. But at the end of the 1030 service, we had a sweet lady that was here to see her grandchildren um, in, the, in, the, in the presentation that we had that said, how much more do you owe? And just went ahead and paid for the rest of it. And this is awesome. And, and she did it in memory of, of her husband, her recently departed husband. And, and her words were, I just, I'm so excited that um, this gift will honor families long after we're all gone. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to live into that gift. And, and I'm just so appreciative for all the families that will find hope. Um, when we gather around that angel of, of hope statue. So, so thank you for supporting that and um, just means the world to us. Uh, so here's the other announcement is on June 12th through the 16th is Vacation Bible School. We have 700 children registered for Vacation Bible School. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're all gonna be here whether we're ready for them or not, uh, June 12th through the 16th. It's amazing, we get five days to pour into the lives of these 700 children and teach them everything we possibly can about the gospel message and connecting them to Jesus. So the first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is to pray. Make sure you're praying about it. Just ask God to open up their hearts. There's so much chaos in some of these children's homes and um, we just want all that stuff to be pushed to the side so they can learn and we can get an anchor in their hearts so that they will discover the God that loves them eternally. And so that's our big hope. Here's the request I would say, is that every year we get tons of volunteers um, we have lots of middle school and lots of high school students that show up, and they are the backbone of, of the work that we do. 
but we love adults. We need about 50 more adults that are crazy. No, I'm not crazy. 50 more adults that are willing to wade into the waters of Vacation Bible School and help us to pull it off. So I'm pushing that out there. You do not have to be here all five days. You don't even have to see a child. Um, You just need to be willing to serve. We'll put you in the kitchen. You can open doors outside. There's a lot of different places you can serve, but we need that extra bit of help. So if that's something you can do at the end of the service today, either stop by out at the welcome desk or come into the Next Steps room. We'll get you signed up, and Kristen will find a place for you. Even if it's just one afternoon at one particular moment, Kristen will find a spot, and she'll plug you in. Um, And so we're so excited about about that. Now, here's the other announcement, and this is a long one, about eight to ten minutes, and we got time today. So for those of you who were unable to come to the legacy recap meetings, there's a a little bit of information that we've got to get to you so you know what to expect as we go into the fall um, about some of the changes that we have coming up. So I'm going to give you the very, very condensed notes version, um, and uh, we're going to follow here soon with the the newsletter that'll go out that kind of gives you some of the other updates that are are happening. And if you have any questions, just, just... Call the church. I'll sit down with you. We'll talk through some of those. But here are the things that we learned about our church in the legacy meeting. So this is what we heard you say in some of your surveys. Number one is that we are a multi-denominational church. So everybody that came to the legacy meetings had the opportunity to take a survey. And of those who attended, the 300 plus, there were 18 identifiable denominations. I say identifiable because some of you checked the other box. So I don't know what your denomination is, but welcome to the party, right? So we are a multi-denominational church. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I am a Catholic Methecostal, right? So my history has brought me to this place, and I've got a good smattering of many different faith systems that bring me to where I'm at today. But one of the things you need to know is that this is a multi-denominational church, and so it makes fun teaching messages and trying to cross all those different places and just, just rightly contextualizing the Bible so we can all understand. The second thing that we found out about our church is that we're a multi-generational church, that at Community Life, we have every age group you can possibly imagine, from the itty-bitties to the golden oldies, we have all of them. And so it's interesting how we communicate, how we talk, our services, how we've all figured out how to kind of move in the space and survive in the things that we do. One of the facts that everybody loved to hear is that in the calendar year 2022, community life, through your giving, through the preschool, vacation Bible school, youth missions, you just saw it, youth ministry, $1.1 million went through the hands of our church into the hands of children and youth ministry. So I want you to know that's the investment that you made in this community and children and youth. Now, what happens when you invest that amount of resource into the the students? I'm going to tell you, when you do, it no longer makes them the church of tomorrow. It makes them the church of today. And so I love seeing that. That that resonated with so many of you as to how healthy this church is and the different life groups and the different stages that we're at. So here's a phrase that came out of just, just those two understandings, is that at Community Life, one of the things that we've learned to do well is to live in the tension, to live in the tension. So because we're a church that loves God, loves our neighbor, and connects people to Jesus, because we're a mission-oriented church, for some reason, even though we're multi-denominational and multi-generational, you guys all have found out how to be in the same room and move in a similar direction together because we've learned how to live in the tension. Some of you, you're here today and you're like, it's too loud. Some of you are here today and you're like, crank it up, needs to be louder. It's not dark enough, it's too dark. Some of you are like, we want more of this, we want more of that. And so what you do is you find yourself in an environment that maybe isn't uniquely what you would like, but because we're a mission-oriented church and we're connecting people to Jesus, we live in the tension and you are more willing to tolerate something that maybe isn't your flavor because of the work that is being done. And, And that is a trademark of who we are. And it's so beautiful about how you guys live into that every single day. So we live in the tension. Now, some stuff you need to know. We have, since November, experienced tremendous growth at this church. So as we sit here of recent, um, we are averaging 1,200 people in worship a week in the building. Um, You clap for that. Uh, With 200 to 250 people logging in online every single week. So think about... Now, Michelle, if you clap for everyone, I'm never going to get done. So we'll get one big one at the end. Or whoever it was, who was it? Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you out. Anyways, it's... now I'm going to get in trouble now. I'm celebrating 250 people in, in worship every single week. That's right. 
But here's what you need to know. That's an entire huge church online. So that informed our decisions. Easter. So the largest group we ever had at Easter in the past was 2,200 people in the building. This past Easter, 2,600 bodies in this building on Easter morning. Now, here's what... That's preacher numbers. We actually had 2598. So I'm adding two so that I can remember 2600. 2600 people in the building and four to 500 people online. So here's what Scott knows. We have a congregation of about 3,000 people that attend about once a month, many of you a lot more, and that's how we show up. And when you do the math based on our past, that means that this fall we'll be a church of over 1,500 people. And why, why that's significant is this. Because the biggest things that we heard from you in the legacy meetings, the biggest challenges that you deal with are number one, the parking lot, finding a place to park, and number two, navigating the parking lot to get into the building. So some of you who've had to park out in the back 40, you risk your life to get to church. So that's extra Jesus dollars for you. And if you have any sort of mobility issues, it's not even, it's tough trying to get across this parking lot, let alone people that are willing to run you over because they're on the way to lunch, whatever that looks like. So, so knowing that the increase in people are going to come, here's the first big decision. And I'll tell you the other one that was the biggest challenge for people, that um, families that had high school and middle school students, because we split the two different age groups, it was very difficult for you to find a service to come to. You either couldn't get your middle schooler up or you couldn't get your high schooler to stay, but regardless, it was hard to find a service to go to. So here's what we're doing in the fall. On August 6th, we're going to go to three full services on a Sunday morning, and here are the service times, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. All three services will be exactly the same. They'll all be an hour long. Uh, The same message will be in all three services. There will be children's ministry at all three services. There will be youth ministry at the 10 and 11.30 service, and it will be both middle school and high school. So you no longer have to fight that battle before you come out of your house. (laughs) Y'all are so funny. Uh, At the legacy meeting, we had a standing ovation for that one. Um, So that's going to change the way that we do services a little bit. And here's our hope, is that we can spread the crowd out a little bit so it takes a little bit of pressure off the parking lot, a little bit of pressure about helping to get some of our our mobility challenge folks into the building. And um, that's going to buy us some time as we continue to work on developing this campus and getting to a a better place. That switch will carry us all the way to about 2,000 people, which based on our growth pattern will be 2024. When we get to 2,000 people, we're going to have to add a Saturday night service. And when we hit 2,500, that's it. We're all done. Uh, Nobody else is allowed to go to church here. And uh, we're just going to shut the doors. And no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Then it's really trying to figure out what's what's going on beyond that. Um, Trustees have commissioned a master site plan to determine what options we have in the property. We talked about some of the different opportunities we have. So trustees are engaged and they're working towards laying out this entire property. The personnel committee has been running like crazy to keep up. We've already hired a communications director who's a rock star, by the way. And, um, and we're in the process of finding a production manager that's going to take care of lights and sound and make sure we balance all of that stuff out to live in the tension. Um, and then we recognize the importance of the online community, that 250 plus. And so we haven't figured all of this out yet but ways to connect the online community better than we have in the past. So through prayer, through connections, could be in groups, maybe Zoom, whatever. We're gonna, we just are gonna dive into that world and figure it out, working on the production aspect and cameras and, and all that piece. Groups, there, um, we heard you say that you wanted more stage of life gatherings. And so married couples, singles, divorce recovery, grief share. Um, so Kat is working on pulling some of that together. And then for missions and serving, we heard that you want more options and you want it to be easier and you want your cake and you want to eat it too. Um, we're working on making all of those things, solving them, figuring it out. But Clint and, um, and Clay are working to try and solve all of that. And you had to know that if I was going to bring all of that up, that there is one thing I would ask you to do. So we ask you to consider four things if you're a part of this church. We ask you to attend, which you're here or you're logged in. We ask you to group. The 50% of you have found your way into a group, so this church is above and beyond in that, but if you haven't found a group, find one. We ask you to give. This is a very generous church, but if you haven't connected in terms of giving, we would love for you to do that because we continue to connect people to Jesus, so we would ask you to give. But then we also ask you to serve. If you've not found a place to serve, we want you to find that place. Because a person who is a believer that doesn't have an outlet for what God is doing in their lives, 
becomes a very different looking believer over the period of time. It's, it's taking all of those blessings and storing them and puffing up is what scripture says, rather than building up, which is the, the understanding. And so finding a place to serve and plug in, and we need your help as we move into the fall. We need help across the board in children's ministry and security and youth ministry and parking lot, all of those different areas, you name it. So, um, so consider being a part of a team. And if that speaks to your heart, Stop by once again over in the, um, the Next Steps room, and we'll get you connected. Amen? I'll tell you, it's really terrible as a pastor to have growth issues. <laughs> I have dreamed about these days my whole life, and uh, I'm excited about having more people than we know where to put them. And um, it's just, these are fun challenges. These are fun days, and we look forward to continuing to grow and connecting people to Jesus. So with all of that, I am ready to dive into part two of our message called Kingmaker, which is the study of Samuel. So we are in this series where we are looking at one of my favorites in the Bible, a prophet, priest, a military leader, a judge of Israel, if you will, whose name is Samuel. Why he's significant is because he transitions Israel from one of their worst, most depraved moments into one of their most prosperous and growing moments for all of Israel. And he comes along at a time where because of his faith, because of the faith of his mother, um, we see him just transition Israel and bring them to a whole new spot. Somebody that was willing to listen to God and act on the things that God was saying. So, um, so we're gonna study Samuel over these next, I think we got four more weeks counting today, and really just hope that we can give you something to understand and hold on to when you think of Samuel the kingmaker. So here's a timeline so you can put it into historical context. So um, if you're looking at this timeline, we're way over here, a couple thousand years. Here's Jesus right in the middle. Over here's Abraham. God made covenant with Abraham. Says, I'm going to make you the father of, of many nations. Abraham gets busy. They, they start to grow. Ultimately, God moves um, the children of Israel into Egypt because he needs to protect them from famine. But then God's got to get them out of Egypt. He sends Moses. And then you have the Exodus story. They go over to the edge of the promised land, but they're not ready to go in. So God allows them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until ultimately it was time to go in. God raises up Joshua and Joshua goes into the promised land and they take tons of land. It's an amazing time for Israel. But when Joshua passes away, Israel transitions into a time of regional leadership by the different tribes. Um, and, and this downward spiral starts for Israel. As, um, as there's no leader that would really step up and help to lead the, lead the nation. And so somewhere between the promised land and this kingdom period, Israel just hits rock bottom. And this is when God raises up Samuel right here before the kingdom period. And Samuel is responsible for anointing the first two kings, Saul and David. And so we're studying his story so that we can understand it and see what it has to say in our lives. But here's the thing we looked at last week. We looked at Hannah's story, which is Samuel's mother. And what we find is that this mother, who was struggling with infertility, stood on her faith, and God changed her view from the struggle that she was in to give her a view that encompassed the nation. And so when God moved in her life, not only did she see her own challenge and how God shaped it, but she also spoke life over Israel and helped to be the one that moved them forward. And so she's a woman of faith that brought about great change because she was willing to believe. When you get out of chapter two or get into chapter, the rest of chapter two, we get this information that prepares us for what we're going to read today in chapter three. So the rest of chapter two tells us how Hannah continued to support Samuel, even though she dropped him off at the temple every year, she would sew this little linen ephod and a robe, just like a little baby priest outfit, and she would bring it to the temple and drop it off for him, and she still had input in his life, loving him, caring for him. But then the story transitions over to Eli, and we talked about the brokenness of the priesthood. Eli was the high priest, but he was a corrupt individual. This is the person who's responsible for raising Samuel. He has two sons who, Scripture says, are scoundrels. They're stealing from the offerings. They're extorting um, from the people of God, and they're sleeping with the women who assist in the temple right in open air out in front of the temple, and God is done with it. And so he sends someone, an unnamed person, to speak to Eli and let him know that he's going to take and wipe out his entire heritage. He's going to completely and totally get rid of him. Hard word to hear, 
Hard word to consider, but that's where that chapter ends going into chapter three. So chapter three is really the transition point from Eli into Samuel. So we're just going to jump in. We're going to read it. And then at the end, we're going to come back and talk about a few things that will, will help you to connect. Everybody good? All right, good. So first Samuel chapter three, it says, now the boy was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. So something that's so interesting about the beginning of this story is that we find Samuel ministering to the Lord, and we're going to find out in verse 7 that Eli or Samuel doesn't even know the Lord. He hasn't had a conversation with him. He's serving him. He's pouring his heart out. He's actually performing some of those beginning roles of the priesthood before he ever truly got to know God. So it's a marker of Samuel's faithfulness and his heart after God. But then this next part, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. I've read this verse, and we've argued about, not argued, we've talked about it in all of our Bible studies. And I often wonder, knowing God the way that I feel like I know God, were visions and words rare, or was nobody listening? Because when you look at the history of Israel, there's nobody paying attention. They were engaging with all of these other gods. They had nothing to do with God. I guarantee you God was speaking loud and clear, and they just weren't even listening. And Eli's a picture of that as we go forward in the story. Verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And so you get this picture that um, shows this comparison of Eli and of Samuel. So notice in the story, every time we talk about Eli, that he's, he can't see, he can't hear well, he's going to sleep, he's removed from the whole scenario, uh, the lamp is about to go out, that's a foreshadowing of the change that's about to happen. But then every time we talk about um, uh, Samuel, he's always in the right place, he's pursuing God. Uh, the, the verse here that says Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Biblical scholars lose their marbles over this verse, all right? So if you go back to the original Hebrew, what it says is that Samuel was sleeping next to the ark. But biblical scholars read this and they're like, well, that just can't be because it's the holy of holies. And there's only one priest allowed to go in there one time of year. So there's no way that maybe this meant he had to be in the temple. And so they change it. And they try to change the wording to get to a certain place. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe the original writer of Samuel just put that wording down wrong. Here's what I want you to know, is that regardless of what it says, the writer of Samuel is trying to let you know that Samuel is as close to the presence of God as he could possibly be. And I think that's important for us to make note of. Right? We can get caught up in all of the religious understanding and all the laws. What they're trying to say is that they were he was close to the ark. He was close to the presence, the known presence of God at the time. And here we go. Now God is about to start calling him. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. And he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and he lay down. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. A little squirrel to chase in this moment. If you go back into the, um, the text before this, this is exactly how God called some of the greats of the faith, if you wanted to look at it that way. When God called Abraham, 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 Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses, seems to be the cadence. God knows we're never going to hear on the first one, so he always shoots at us twice, right? So that's what you see in some of these guys. Um, and he does the same thing here for Samuel. Verse 7, this is such an important verse. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Even though he's as close to God as he can possibly be, even though he's ministering to the Lord and he doesn't even know him, shows his faithfulness, speaks to me of Hannah and her heart in the story. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. It only took Eli three times. He's the high priest, right? I mean, this is such an indictment on the, on the priesthood. Now, and maybe he made a mistake, but it took him three times in the training of this young man to figure out what God was saying. Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, verse nine. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, 
Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is, what? Is it important to know that if God is going to speak to us, we need to probably do what? Listen. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Probably the best advice that Eli had ever given anyone in his ministry career. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came, oh, no, 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 look at verse 10. Oh, this is fabulous. I remember reading this as a, as a young believer. He says, now the Lord came and what? Stood there. Don't make me come down there. Right? So whether he was sleeping next to the ark or not, God, went, God got up and went over there and stood right next to him, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. Now that verse just blows me away. The first thing I would say is God is letting you know that he's about to move. And so if you wonder if God is still active, this verse to me lets me know that God is still moving. And there's a promise or an understanding that I've always held on to is that in the priesthood, in the ministry, God will give you time to get your junk together, but God loves his people more than your junk. And at some point, he's going to judge you. He's going to deal with it, and he's going to move people out of the way. This is why we see so many denominations across the platform um, being dealt with for the sins that we've hidden for years. And so God says, God says, I'm about to do something that will make all of those who hear of it tingle. Now, this phrase tingle, we think of it as, as inclining your ear, like it's going to make your ears itch. This is, this is the sound of, of something that booms in your ears. How many of you survived the 80s? Okay, so I'm a child of the 80s. And um, there were things in the 80s that I can't believe we survived. Um, so remember, there were no ca child car seats. Um, you remember the hump in the back of the cars? No seatbelt, but you if you were the youngest, guess where you rode? On the hump. Yeah, that's just what you did. Um, so there was that, there was that. Um, there were all sorts of things that happened in the 80s that you just can't, it's just hard to even imagine that we're still here. Remember, eat all the food on your plate because somebody somewhere is starving and now none of us want to exercise and we eat everything we see. I think that's where that comes from as well. But here in this story, there's something that happens that reminds me of something that used to happen in the 80s, at least for guys, because we weren't real bright. Um, but there was something your buddies would do. They would sneak up behind you and they would box your ears. Boom! You guys remember that? Probably the most unhealthy thing you can do to anyone's ears. But as soon as they did that, like your ears were just ringing like crazy. That sound, getting your attention like that, is more in keeping with this story than, than inclining your ears. It's going to shock you, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to know that God has done something. He says, verse 13, Maybe we'll back up to 12. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him, so he's already been warned, that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. This judgment is because he did not remove them from the priesthood and deal with them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated, which means to be atoned. So his, his sins will not be expiated by sacrifice or offering for how long? Forever. Imagine Samuel's like, ah. He's hearing God speak this to him. Verse 15, Samuel lay there until morning, probably trying to process this. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. For me, that one phrase is a foreshadowing of the passing of the baton from Eli to Samuel. Now you see Samuel opening the doors, preparing the house of the Lord for the worship that was gonna go on during that day. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, of course, a young man, 13, 14, 15 years of age, having to deliver this would be very tough. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that, you, that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. You wonder if Eli even had any idea. And Samuel said, okay, thanks for asking. So here he goes. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, this is, this is Eli, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Now, it's just, it just blows my mind away. Could you imagine if, if, if a prophet of the Lord spoke over you and told you that your entire existence was going to be blotted out? 
Wouldn't you do something about that? Like, try to repent, try to move, try to make a change, nothing. You still see the heart of Eli that goes, okay. And he just lets it unfold. Right? I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing you see in scripture, but it tells you that God is about to make a shift. God is done dealing with this entire scenario. Verse 19, as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and check this out, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Part of Eli's ministry was that everything that God spoke to him, he carried with dignity, shared it, lived into it. That's a, that's a powerful thing to know about Samuel. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from the farthest part north to the farthest part south, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Cool story? I like it. I love going down and studying it and seeing in the detail. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, right off the bat, it's a very simple story about learning to listen, learning to connect. Um, I'm going to tell you that I can remember for me, this is one of the very first stories I connected with as a believer. So I, I had my encounters with God early on in my life. Uh, Mom and dad made sure that I knew the gospel and I, I had opportunities to believe. And I would tell you that I accepted Christ, but it wasn't until my 17th year, almost 18 years of age, when it all connected for me. And I became a believer. And there was something about me, and this is not true or normal to everybody, that I just, I love scripture. I dove in and I started reading it. I started consuming it. I had no idea what I was reading, but I read it cover to cover. And, and there was so much of it, dragons and wheels and all of these prophecies. I had no idea what it was about, but this story was one that I read. And I can remember thinking about Samuel that I want to be like Samuel that I want to be such a believer that if God speaks to me, that not one of the words that God gives me ever falls to the ground. And, well, I appreciate you saying that, but that's been a challenge my whole life, right? Because if, if God trusts you to carry a word, that means that you have to be willing to share it. So do you know how they determine the difference between a, tr a true prophet and a false prophet back in these days? Was if what you said came true or not. And if you spoke a word and said it was, the, it was the Lord and it didn't happen, guess what they did to you? It wasn't good. Like they got rid of you. So here's, the, here's what they're saying is that Samuel heard the word of the Lord, carried the word of the Lord, and it was a marker on his ministry that he lived that way. So for me as a young believer, I, that, was, that was one of the things that shaped my ministry. I maybe didn't understand the rest of the stuff that was around, but it became something for me. But in context, what we have here in our Chapter 13 is honestly the, transi the, the transition of the priesthood from Eli, the unfaithful, to Samuel, the faithful. In historical terms, Israel is moving from being led by regional leaders to the period of the kings, and God needs someone that will help to transition, anoint, and bless it along the way. So if you're going to look at it from that scope... It's super, super important to know the transition that's happening. Now, for those of you who are three layers deep in studying your Bible, let me tell you something that I think is interesting. This is a squirrel, but I think it's worth chasing. Um, between Joshua and Eli, there was another, Aaron. When Aaron started the priesthood, set in line by Moses, there was a priesthood who carried, the, there was a priest who carried the lineage of the priesthood. Somewhere between then and Eli, that lineage ends and Eli takes over. And now we have the end of Eli's lineage and the beginning of Samuel's lineage. And if you want to just go through, what you're finding as we go through scripture is that scripture, humanity, we are learning that there is no priest that will ever fully live into the purpose and the design that God ever hoped for. They were all fallible and none of them could recognize it well enough and live into it well enough, which ultimately leads us forward to prophecy and living into the order of Melchizedek, which ultimately makes Jesus the high priest. There was only one that could fulfill ultimately. So if you want to look for that second layer that runs through all of these, the transition from the first priesthood to Eli's priesthood to Samuel's priesthood, and ultimately Jesus is the only one that can live into that space and live into the priesthood in a way that it was supposed to. It has nothing to do with the point, but there you go, you have it. So, um, so we see the transition. And on the very surface... It is a compare and contrast between Eli and between Samuel. You have Eli who's sleeping, 
His eyesight is poor, visions and the, uh, and, and the word are not widespread, the lamp is dim, Eli is unfaithful to respond to his son's blasphemy, versus Samuel, who's ministering even before he knew the Lord, he's tending to the priest's duties before he's even a priest, he's as close to God's presence as he could possibly be, he wakes up out of a dead sleep hearing the Lord, he's willing to listen, he's under authority, um, he opens the doors of the temple or the tabernacle to get it ready, he's willing to speak the Lord of the Lord, and none of his words fall to the ground. And if you, it's, it's the compare and contrast of the faithful versus the unfaithful. And if you get into chapter four, the transition is complete when, um, when Eli and his entire family are wiped out when the Philistines come in and they steal the ark and they destroy Shiloh. And so if you want to read ahead, you can see what takes place there. So on the surface of our study, this is the transition from one to another. But I know enough about you guys to know that you're looking for that point that maybe helps us. What is the, the teaching edge to this scripture that helps us to understand our faith and connect to Jesus. Listen to all of these different lessons that you can derive from this chapter. There are lessons on the willingness to listen to God, the willingness to speak what God says, the willingness to be obedient and course correct. There are lessons on the willingness to correct those that are in our care, whether we as parents are responsible for correcting our children or whether in an organization where there are people that we need to deal with, there are lessons about the proximity to God's presence. There are lessons about callings and giftings. And so all week long, we talked about all these things, but the one that had the most momentum behind it was the one that asked the question, does God still speak to us and how does he speak to us? Right? Like, how do we listen? How do we hear? What are some of those different ways? I want to read for you three quick scriptures that will let you know that God is still speaking to us today. John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God or the word of Christ. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing um, until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Scripture is full of God wanting to connect with us, wanting to reach out with us, to, and, and, and speaking to us in many different ways. So, so let me throw out an, an exhaustive, non-exhaustive list of the ways that God speaks to us. You guys ready? This is a different way to teach, but, but let me just throw some of these thoughts out there. God still speaks audibly. Most of us in our lives will never hear that, but some of you, you've heard God audibly speak to you. God speaks to us through scripture. God speaks to us through prayer. God sometimes can speak, <laughs> if the preacher doesn't fall off the stage, through a sermon, through worship, God will speak to you in dreams. My wife is a dreamer. Sometimes in the morning, I wake up and she goes, I had a dream. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I'm like, does it have to do with me? That's usually my first question. I'm like, what did I do? Um, so she, she has dreams. God gives her dreams. Life struggle. God will speak to us through life struggle. Think of Hannah and how God shaped her through what she was walking through. Um, through nature. God will speak to us through nature. If you've not heard the story of, of the saltwater cottage and Julie Condon and how she was praying and she was seeking after God and God revealed a promise to her through finding a sand dollar and as a result of God speaking to her, she's connected hundreds and dare I say thousands of people who have been abused in life and she's connected them to Jesus. God speaks to us through nature, maybe through a sunset or through a sunrise. He can speak to us through our friends, through our accountability partners, through random strangers like in the story of Eli. And I'll give you one last one. God can speak to us through, um, through crazy moments in life. And um, when, when I was 12 years of age, some of you heard this story. Uh, it was Mother's Day. We lived in Destin at the time, and we decided to go to the beach. Um, I'd never been surfing before, but I wanted to learn, and so I grab a surfboard. Dad, you're going to hear this story again. I grab a surfboard, and we go out to Navarre Beach. The surf is three to four feet. I don't know what I'm doing. There's no leech on the surfboard. I paddle out. First wave hits me in the back, knocks me off the board. I'm literally drowning. I mean, like, I'm going down. My father sees me. He dives in the water, comes out after me. There's no one else on the beach. No one. And as dad is trying to push me in, trying to push me in, we're in the rip current. We're going out, and we're going down. I mean, like, this is the end. And I know it's the end, and he's trying to do everything he can to say, keep swimming. And I can remember seeing down the, the beach, running out of the middle of nowhere, this, this elderly gentleman. He doesn't even break stride. He comes into the water, swims out to us and um, gets to me, and my dad says, you got him? He says, like, I got him. And so this gentleman starts to swim to get me back to the beach and lets my dad go, and, I'm, and now I'm freaking out because I'm pretty sure dad is gone. And uh, dad, dad, in his story, would tell you that he prayed and he said, Jesus, save me. And at that moment, he was standing up in the second sandbar. 
shallow enough, to, and the wave stopped, and he was able to, he was able to catch his breath. And, uh, but, but ultimately, when he came in, he was way down the beach, and we got together, and the guy was gone. Like, none of us were paying attention to who he was or where he was, but I think after he made sure we were gone, he was gone. So right after that was us spiritually trying to figure out what was going on. We start going to a church in Fort Walton Beach, and ultimately, we start to connect, and we wanted to join a life group. And so um, we go to this, this person comes over to our house to talk to us about life groups, and dad starts to share the story, and the guy says, that's me. I'm that guy. And he says, here's the crazy thing about this. He said, I never run on the beach. I always run in my community. He says, and I felt God told me it was a good day to go run on the beach. He said, I was just running down Navarre Beach, Henderson Beach, right there, but where the back porch restaurant is. He goes, and I saw two people trying to drag him out. He goes, I never thought I'd see you again. And you see how a random stranger makes a huge change in someone's life. God can speak to you through the random stranger. And so there's a thousand ways that God can speak to us. But here's the big point. What does all of this say? And I would put us back into context. In all of that, we cannot escape this story. That if we want God to speak to us, you have to look at the example of Eli and you have to look at the example of Samuel. And then consider your life. Are you like Samuel where you do everything you can to be in the presence of God, to pray, to be faithful? Not perfectly, but you do all the things that you can so that you can hear God's voice. Or maybe you've gotten yourself to where you're Eli where God is trying to speak to you, but you're just not listening anymore. There are things in life that God has asked you to deal with, but you're not willing to deal with it. And so you got yourself stuck. I'm gonna tell you, sometimes God won't give you this part of the message until you deal with this part of the message. And so in context, we, there is a God that wants to speak to us, wants to connect with us, but we've gotta be willing to listen. We've gotta get to a place where we will not let any of those words fall to the ground. And so what, what does that say to us today? I know that there are people here today that inside your heart of hearts, God's been asking you to do something. God's been asking you to pray for someone. God may be asking you to stop doing something. Or maybe God's asking you to take a class or to, to be a part, whatever it is, right? Like you know how God's prompting you and speaking to you. For some of you, you want to know God, but you don't know him yet. What I would say to you is live into this life of Samuel where you minister to the Lord and ultimately you'll have this relationship where you can understand God in a powerful way. One last nugget that I love, okay? I don't want to let you guys go ever, but let me tell you one last thing, and then we'll pray and we'll be done. <clears throat> this is how powerful Samuel's ability became to hear God. Later on, when Saul blows it, and God wants Samuel to go anoint David, Samuel's connection to God was so good. His ability to hear was so good that God says, that's it, I'm done with Saul. Let's go, I want you to go anoint David. Samuel says, oh, time out. He goes, if Saul hears that I'm going to anoint someone else, he will kill me graveyard dead. And God goes, all right. And he gives him a way around it. Imagine having that ability to converse with God. That's what happens when you have that heart and you don't let those words fall to the ground. It brings you to a completely beautiful, stellar place, which then ultimately connects us back to Jesus. For some of you, Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart for a long time. For some of you, Jesus has been peeking in your blinds, trying to get your attention, whatever it takes. I want you to know he's here. He's here to love you, to restore you, to bring healing to your life. Your faith system may have told you something different. I do not believe in a God that is waiting to throw you in hell. I believe in a God that loves you and wants to do everything you can to rescue your life today. That's the God that invites you to come and to open up your heart and to accept and believe today. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for the opportunity today to wrestle with the living God who has something to say about what we're walking through and what we're experiencing right now. And so God, I pray that today in the heart of hearts of, of all of us, God, that we would reconcile and see your grace shower on us once again. God, for those that would open up their hearts, Lord, allow us to experience your salvation and your hope. For those who've been walking for a long time and maybe have become tone deaf, God, I pray that you would once again, as we repent, reveal yourself to us. God, we love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand and enjoy this, this final song. Addie's down front on this side. I'll be on this side. If there's something we can pray with you about this morning, uh, we'd love to do that. But I invite you to be a part of this final song.
love, I love this place. I love how last week we can have a stage full of rowdy, awesome preschoolers leading us in worship. How this Sunday we can have a group of high schoolers who are about to head off into the mission field and how we can come together and I just worship and be together. This is truly amazing. I don't know if God's reaching out to you, speaking a word to you, but uh, just like... Just like Samuel, I'd encourage us all to be obedient in that this week. If you're new here, if you want to find a way to get plugged in and get connected, we'd love to meet you in the Next Steps room just right out in the lobby. Or if you're looking for another way to dive in a little deeper, come talk to us. We'll get you plugged in. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, for your word in our life. God, in a world that uh, seems like it's, it's vying for our attention and shouting mixed messages at us. God, I thank you so much for being the God who speaks directly to us. God, whether it be audibly or through your scripture or through the wise words of a trusted friend or family member, help us to be attuned, help us to open our ears, help us to listen, God, and then to, to go and to do. Here we are. Send us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.